Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And let me say, ladies, y'all did a wonderful job leading us in worship. We're so thankful for y'all. Thankful for that ministry and how God has just richly blessed us as a family of faith in that way. Um, last week, so thankful for Matthew as he uh, preached from 1 Corinthians. He did an excellent job of pointing us to Christ in that and, and the gift that the resurrection is. Not only the gift that it is, but the necessity of the resurrection and how really without it, apart from it, uh, we, we are the most to be pitied, right? Uh, as, as Paul writes. So remember now that we get to this second letter or two Corinthians, right? We get to this and, and really it's like it's the third letter, right? Um, third letter, uh, and in between these two letters, there's what Paul describes in cha chapter two as a painful visit. So he has, he's seen them again, it appears. And, um, you can even go back. Remember Paul, Paul started, planted this church really, uh, even go back to Acts chapter 18. He, he, leads people to Christ in Corinth and then establishes church there. But there's something about this letter, maybe even certainly even more so than the last letter. This, this letter has, is more loving than the first letter. Remember how Matthew was telling us that really like he launches into like, he just goes straight into Here's all your problems. Like, here's all the stuff you guys have messed up. You got to get fixed. Or you, you haven't done exactly right. Whatever it is. And uh, he really begins with lots of reconciliation type terminology. Really, even though they're thinking less of Paul. And, and he demonstrates that they, the, the church at Corinth, are his proof of his own credentials, right? There was even some kind of doubt, like, are you really that big a deal? Why do we need to listen to you? And he's like, I led, I, I led you to Christ. Like, I, I established this church. Like, you are my credentials. Like, if, I'm, if I'm thinking through this. And, and so what we get to ultimately is this, is this paradox of the cross, and that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus, his glorious exaltation as king is found best at his crucifixion, right? Which, which seems to be so absurd. And, and we'll, we will see this certainly again at the end, but I want us to think about, when we think about the paradox of the cross, we think about these these like how the, the king would be humble enough to death, even death on the cross. I want us to see the opposites, though, that, that we have even set before us. So if you would, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read chapter 4 together. It says, or I'll read it, you can listen. How about that? Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, oh no, sorry, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, unseen, are eternal. Pray with me. God, I pray that that you would draw us to yourself, that you would bring us into marvelous light, that, that our hearts would be driven and enticed and drawn to the eternal things that are unseen. May your word Stir in us, cleanse us by your word. Amen. So we think about the opposites that are described in 2 Corinthians 4. We start with dark or light, right? Those are pretty stark opposites, dark and light. Think, think about this. The darkness of earth blinds unbelievers, right? Right? 
This is what it tells us. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. People are blinded by the God of this earth. That's lowercase g, not our God, are denying the very glory of God that is displayed all around them, right? We, we look around as believers, we look around us and we see the, the majesty of mountains, the, the vast sea and ocean. I was trying to explain to my kids last week the difference between the ocean and the Gulf of Mexico and like, good luck, right? Uh, but it's really, really big and it's really, really vast. And like, that's what you need to know. Like you see those things, you see, you see even the, the details of the, the tiny ant crawling. You think about how God designed that ant. As much as you might not like it, he designed the spider, designed the snake, designed the giraffe. Like what a creative God. This, this God who, who displays all of this, the the lost person sees it and thinks nothing of God. Not this God. Blinded. My friend Fred Hall has given me this analogy before. So I want you to, to imagine with me that you are in the most magical place on earth. Some of you are smiling because it just came to your mind right? It could, could or could not be as magical depending on the age of your children that you take with you. But right, you can, I think there's some pictures on the screen or should be. So right, Disney World. This is the Dumbo ride. Not to be any indicator of me, but it is the Dumbo ride. Okay. There's another one I think maybe of Epcot. Maybe you're a big fan of Epcot. You like that one, right? Uh, I think about, so my kids, there's a picture of them, I think right? They get to meet their, like the princess. Oh, my kids were so fired up for this one because that, that princess's best friend in the movie, her name is Lottie, right? Charlotte, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, so she, they were super fired up about it. I think there's one more. Who doesn't like Lion King? You know what I'm saying? So, so there's this, so imagine with me, we, I remember we went, we went, uh, just a few years ago, if you could tell, it's been a few years because our kids are a little bit smaller than they are now. And, and you, have, you have a meal plan. And that's really nice. There's tasty treats, there's exciting rides around every corner. You are with your family who you really, you actually do love them. You're watching their eyes light up when they meet their favorite princess or their favorite hero. You are actually thrilled to stand in line because you know how much it's a small world will make your kids' imagination go wild. And even your flashbacks of when you went and when you were a kid, and those, those flashbacks are sweet memories. But you have a toothache. It's not just one of those slight toothaches, just kind of bothers you a little bit. It's the kind that you can't eat anything from your meal plan. You can't drink anything too cold. Well, in Florida, that doesn't help. You can't get a Mickey Mouse-eared popsicle. You can't enjoy a Dole Whip, nothing. Not to mention, it hurts even when you're just standing there. 
Every picture you have is just you trying to smile through it, but your, your most magical place on earth turns into the most miserable experience ever. You can't see the magic. You can't see the princess and your kids' faces lighting up and the memories from your childhood because you're blinded by the pain in your mouth. This is what the darkness is like. You're surrounded by the beauty and majesty displayed all around you. Even if you're in some urban epicenter, you look around, you, you can see creation in people. And yet, you're blinded by something so much worse than a toothache. So, the light of Christ shines on believers. Look at, look at verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has displayed himself to and through believers to have a knowledge of him. Like, if you're a follower of Christ, like, if you live in the light, it is because the light was shown to you. Like, this should bring more smiles. So you, I don't know if we're not awake yet. Like, we just smile about this. You smile about Disney. You smile about the light. Like, you have light, church. We're talking about, like, you were in the dark. Now you're in the light. And if you carry that light, that light's supposed to be shining through you to a world who lives in darkness. First Peter tells us you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what we do. We like the first part of that verse, right? Oh, I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God. Like, this is what I like. I want to be called all of those things. Why were you those things? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of dark into light. You were brought into the light so that you could bring other people with you. Colossians, Paul says it again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 5, for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is the difference. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know where you are at today. Some of you may be right now in the dark. Sure, there's, there's lights on in the room. The sun is shining outside. It's not even that cloudy. But, oh, I pray, 
pray that the, the light of Christ would, would pierce your darkness, that you would hear and respond to the truth that is being set before you, that you do not have to live in the dark. This is why today, this is why today there are, um, is it's International uh, Unreached Day. Not a celebration of the unreached, but an awareness of the unreached. So today, we, we understand that at least a third of the world has no access to the gospel. So today, we pray that Christ's name would be made known and that the light of Christ would penetrate the darkness. I think it's pretty, pretty spectacular. We didn't know about this day, but as we are praying through May, today's focus, if you are following along on that calendar, today's focus is praying for global mission efforts on a day that it's International Day for the Unreached. Yesterday, we were praying for local mission efforts on a day which happened, quote-unquote, to fall on local prayer walking day, on a day when we had church members standing on a street corner sharing the gospel. Earlier this month, by the way, we had scheduled prayer meeting, uh, like a Thursday prayer meeting, on what, quote-unquote, happened to be National Day of Prayer. Don't think that your prayers are insignificant. We want to be a church that values prayer, believes that prayer is effective and powerful, according to James. And so we want to pray. We want to plead with God that his light would shine in the darkest places. So dark or light, weak or strong. You see, our weakness displays our need for grace. Look at verse 11. Turn, turn to verse 11. Still in chapter four. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Did you know that we are dying? Like, that's where we're headed. That's like the most obvious sign of weakness. It not, not, like, certainly, being sick is a sign of weakness. Uh, not being able to lift something heavy, right? Like that can be a sign of weakness or not being able to, to run quite as fast as you used to be able to run or do the thing that you used to be able to do, play the sport you used to be able to play, whatever it is, right? It, it can, it's like a sign of weakness, but you know, like the greatest sign of weakness is death. And what he's saying here is that like, death is coming. <laughs> and this is why Paul, as he continues in this letter, when he gets to chapter 11, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. We're weak. Like, 
Even believers are weak. So what, what this does is it reminds us of our need for Christ. You see, when, when you and I think that we are strong, then we are self-reliant. And Christianity is about us being reliant on Christ. This is not a self-reliant religion. This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps religion. This is not a work harder, do more, give more, be more. This is a need more. And, and so, so weakness actually displays our need for grace. Death is a reminder. Our sickness is a reminder that we need God's grace. And his strength, not ours, displays his gift of life. 2 Corinthians 4. Again, look at verse 15. It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We receive grace. Grace, getting something good that you do not deserve. And I wonder, let me, let me say this. I wonder two things. One, if, if we are so prone to thinking that we can do it ourselves, that we, we do become self-reliant. And so then as that takes place, we don't find ourselves giving thanks to the one who actually did it because for whatever reason, we've convinced ourselves that it was in our own strength. Right? We're, we're less likely to give thanks to God if we think we did it. You know, we, we think we're really good at our job. We think we, we're really good at our sport or at our schooling and our effort. We're really good parents. We really figured it out in our marriage. We've, we've hit it out of the park. We've done it right. And when we start to give ourselves credit, then we don't give credit to him. We find ourselves really, if you, if you start evaluating, how often are you saying thanks to the one who actually did it? And so it's possible that if you're not saying thanks enough, it's because you actually think you did it. Find yourself not being grateful Likely even. That's because you are taking credit. When we, when we receive grace, getting something good that we don't deserve, when we, when we really do receive this grace, it's natural for us, like supernatural for us to then thank him. And sometimes, sometimes we display that thankfulness to God through our words, and we should. It should literally, like, it should be in our, our prayers. It should be spoken to other people. It should be said in the conversation, oh, thank God that he did this good work. When someone gives you a compliment, you, you praise the Lord for that, even to them. You can say, thank you, but you can also say, oh, glory to God. But, 
sometimes our thankfulness flows into action, doesn't it? Because we're so thankful for the good work that God has done in us, we serve more. We're so, so thankful for the good work that God has done in us, we want, other, we want that light to go to others, so we share more. So I wonder about, about your time, how, how that's going. I wonder maybe areas here in the church that you might need to give your time to out of, out of gratitude to the Lord that you would say, yes, I want to serve in preschool ministry every week. Yeah, I want to I love children and spend time with them week after week. Why? Not just because you love children, but because you love God and you're thankful for what he's given to you. So you say, yes, I want to, I want to serve in this way. I want to serve with the kids life group. I want to serve with students. And so you're going to pick up the phone this week and you're going to type in an email to Emily or Barbara or Ford or Nathan or whatever. And you're going to say, I want to say thank you to God by serving in the church. This is, this is how Thanksgiving overflowing more than just in our words. Weak or strong, pain or joy, pain or joy. I think, man, of even just in the, the quick, obvious, these, these are strong opposites, but I think most of us would like, I think I wanna land on joy in this one. Here's what I need you to hear. Here's what Paul seems to be really needing us to hear. He clearly wanted the church of Corinth to, to know this by virtue of the fact that it's no, preserved for us. It must be something he wants he, us to hear that the pain of life on earth is short. Listen, he does not pretend like pain doesn't exist. And I don't want you to ever think that that's what I'm saying. I, I get it. I'm a pretty, like, in the, I'm like the tigger of the group. I get it. I, I'm sorry. Like, what did you say? Yeah, that's right. Okay, it's fine. Like, I, I bounce around. Uh, everything is happy. Like, I get it. But but I don't want you to think that I don't experience pain. And I also don't want you to, to think that I think you shouldn't experience pain. Paul tells us, and I completely affirm the word of God when it says we are afflicted in every way. Pain is coming. If you're not in it now, it's on its way. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, like we're confused by why this is happening to us, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. This is why Paul says this light timeout. Did you catch the other words? Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Then he calls those things light. But this light, momentary affliction. 
we may be beat down, but it is not over. Just as a, a, a resource for you, John Piper has a podcast called Ask Pastor John, um, and he has his one specifically called uh, How Does Chronic Pain Honor God? I would just encourage you to listen to that podcast, maybe 12 or 15 minutes long. It's a good resource, but, but I want you to catch this, that while the pain of life on earth is short, the joy of life in heaven is forever. Right? Again, verse 17. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hebrew word for glory means weight. It's as though the weight cannot be measured. It's like, He's saying it twice, right? Eternal weight of glory. The eternal weight of weight. The heavy. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're in. But it's short. And finally, we have seen or unseen. It's like he's building to this when he says things that are seen are transient. So whatever that thing is in front of you, it's not going to last forever. The hardship, the trial, heartache, short-lived. Your struggling marriage your frustrating work environment, your difficult class schedule, your disappointing parent, your disobedient child, your irrational boss, your painful diagnosis, your anxious mind, your depressed spirit, your irrational fear, your high heart rate, your high blood pressure, your high cholesterol, your low blood count, your low friend count, and on and on and on and on. But things that are unseen are eternal. Because all of those things are short. No matter how hard, no matter how heavy, they're short. Notice that Jesus exchanged his glory, this, this weight, his glory and wealth for the death of the death of a poor slave. So that worldly, sinful, poverty-stricken mankind could be made rich in God's grace. Chapter 8, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I told you we'd come back to this idea of the paradox of the cross. Think about it. There's this transition 
The, the, the cross for us as believers, it transitions our values. We valued success and stuff while God values weakness and humility in order to display his love and greatness. It transforms through the spirit. Jesus gives us this cruciform way of life becomes ours, right? This, this idea of, of exchanging success, exchanging riches and wealth, we exchange that for the weakness, being weak, let him be strong. We'll, we'll take pain for eternal joy. We'll take this momentary unseen things, we'll take them, I mean, seen things, we'll take them for the things that are unseen. Listen again to, to this paradoxical logic. We have momentary jars of clay and are given the permanent promise of treasure. We have momentary affliction and are given the permanent promise of not being crushed. We are momentarily perplexed are given the permanent promise of not being driven to despair. We, are, we have momentary persecution and are given the permanent promise of not being forsaken. We experience momentary death of Jesus and are given the permanent promise of life with Jesus. We have the momentary reality that our outer self is wasting away, but we're given the permanent promise of our inner self being renewed. We have momentary present affliction and are given the permanent promise of the eternal weight of glory. We have momentary things that are seen, but we are given the permanent promise of those things that are unseen. So therefore, therefore, Look at verse 16 and double underline it, circle it, double star it, whatever. We do not lose heart. By the mercy of God, verse one, we do not lose heart. No matter, no, no matter what is wasting away in us, we do not lose heart. John Piper says it this way, not only is all of your affliction momentary, not only is all of your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory that you will get because of that. He says, I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it is doing. Don't look to what is seen when your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you get cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out. Don't say it's meaningless. It's, it's not. 
It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart. Take these truths and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind, to your heart. Sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. So if you don't know this Jesus, this one who gave up heaven so that you could have it. He gave it for a moment. He came, he lived a life perfect that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die. He exchanged for us so that we could go from dark to light, that we could go from pain to joy, that we, we could go from weak to strong in Christ. This is the exchange. So if you, don't, if you don't know him, may today be that day. Call upon Jesus for your salvation, for your redemption in him. Plead with him. In just a moment, when we sing, there will be some to my left in this room that would love to, to talk with you. Be there to, to answer questions and say, I, I want that exchange. I want to I go from dark to light. I want to go from pain to joy. You see, and if you're in, if you're in the light, but you're walking through the pain, then thank God. Like, actually thank God that it is short. Give him praise. Even, even in just a moment when we sting, praise the, the ancient of days that, that is there from the beginning and will be there through the end and beyond. Thank him. Praise him for his power and his glory and his dominion and his reign. Give him the praise that he deserves. Would you stand with me as we respond to the Lord?